Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This interview is with Michael Maselle, the founder and CEO of Pillar Project. Pillar Project raised over $20 million in 2017 through an ICO. They then set up a foundation, a organization based in Switzerland, run by board of directors, uh, and voted in through a DAO, which manages the funding. We talked about exactly how the DAO ecosystem and management of the fund works. Uh, they effectively donated the money from the Pillar Project to the foundation. And we talked about the real-life implications of how voting gets made in DAOs. Uh, we talked about some of the tools they use with Collabland, Snapshot, and then you can check out DAO tooling for more. Uh, we covered Etherspot, which is an SDK that they built and are investing a lot into that basically took out part of the uh, ecosystem smart contracting framework and spun that out as its own tool. Uh, we talked about some other open source projects, some DEXs, uh, and other things that Michael saw coming down the pipeline uh, in the future related to NFTs, uh, CFI, DeFi, talked about a bunch of stuff. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here is Michael Maselli. All right, we got two Michaels on a podcast. So already we're off to a good start. M2. <laughs> uh, Michael Maselli. <laughs> um, Michael, you're based in London. You're running a great project. Uh, fill me in a little bit. Why did you start this? What is Pillar Project? What are you passionate about? What are you trying to build in the world? Uh, thank you, uh, Michael. Um, Pillar Project was um, started in 2017. I don't know whether you guys have come across ICOs. It was during one of the early ICOs from 2017. And the, there was a, a group of people who volunteered for a project. There were around 40 of us all putting in time, some 24 hours, almost 24 hours a day, some maybe an hour a week, but we were all volunteering. And then we came up with the idea of creating what we termed as a personal data locker. And the data locker was um, based on a guy called the, our previous CEO, David his book. So the whole idea was imagine any data you generate, whether it is social media data, medical record, financial record, any data you generate on the internet was controlled by you and you can give it away, meter it away, monetize it individually, 
locking it yourself. Then we thought maybe the blockchain would give us that edge to do that. Then that's how we embarked on the Pillar ICO, where we subsequently created a wallet that we thought would help us in being able to be the locker for our data. But idealism is one thing. Uh, practicalism is an- another thing in that, yes, we wanted it and the people around us congregated, but being able to capitalize on that and how do we get the social medias to hand over the, the data that they have? It is not in their interest to do that. But there are the decentralized social media platforms that blossom during this time. No, they quite weren't. But there are some now sort of um, on the edge. So when we looked at the personal data, we weren't quite able to do that. But we created a platform where within the wallet, you can aggregate any offer. So even if it isn't your personal data, but your personal financial crypto-based financial independence was guaranteed and controlled by you through a wallet where you have offers, different offers coming to you from exchanges, from uh, fiat on-ramps and so forth. So uh, the whole idea was to create the personal data locker. We ended up creating a data management which is again controlled by ourselves in the form of a wallet. Now there are loads of wallets that sort of do this as well, but so we are one of those. And that is the origin of our project, which we've evolved a little bit. And now we have gone into uh, infrastructure providing a phase where we still have the wallet, but we have a marquee product called Ethersport, something like that, which is providing the infrastructure for facilitating what we call Web 2-like flow or UX for Web 3 payment mechanisms. So I'm sure I can get into the details later. Got it. Okay. Sounds like a bunch of different things are happening, but primarily an emphasis on data aggregation, data collection. You mentioned social media, so trying to pull from open source media projects. And then after the ICO, maybe it got a little crowded and you guys moved more into payments. That Basically, yeah. Sound roughly? Yeah, roughly. We, we, we started off in, the, in that flow. Then we had the wallet. We still do. Then the wallet, when you have a wallet, is a, a means of financial independence. So payments goes along with it. So it's an integral part of it facilitating payments. Now, We've taken that further and created a a framework or Ethersport framework which other projects can plug in to facilitate cross-chain payments and make it a whole lot easier and more acceptable to users who aren't crypto-native. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And give me a sense for the size scale of the project, Ra- money raised or revenue, is people working on the project or, mm, I mean, or, or how, how are you guys? In 2017, we pillar project, we raised in, 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 that, in those days, the denomination around $22 million. And 
what we did was everything we raised, we donated it to a foundation, a Swiss foundation. We set up a Swiss foundation and donated it so that those people, up to 40 of us who were involved in setting up the project, we do not own the company. It is a Swiss foundation. So, however, the foundation, we justify what we do to it and the foundation gives us a budget based on, okay, we want you to create X, Y, Z. So we are creating a software which is an open source software which everyone and anyone in the world can have access and develop on top of it or use it themselves and even take it private if they wanted to. Anyone can create a wallet on it. Anyone can use our infrastructure to build other things on it. And with that, we now have about 29 employees and we have created revenue streams which are okay, but nothing to say, wow, this is the best revenue stream at all. But with with this Etherspot infrastructural play that we are working, we are integrating with dApps and fiat on-ramps and other providers, that we believe is the game changer where Web3, which is the blockchain space, becomes a whole lot more accessible and a lot more friendly to users who aren't crypto natives, who aren't uh, the early uh, early adopters of the crypto space. Gotcha. Okay. And so the foundation so raised money in the ICO in 2017. That went into the Pillar Project. At the time, I imagine that's an LLC holding company. You then donate that, set up a nonprofit organization in Switzerland. That new nonprofit organization who manages that how are how is control how did you set this up how did you learn how to set this up did you copy another project or how did you sort of yeah fill me yeah. in a little bit on in, in 2017 th- th- there was a trend in quite a lot of projects going through the foundation setting up process and we spoke to lawyers and we were advised if you set up a foundation in Switzerland you cannot, on second thought, and come and change it. Okay, I gave you this much money. I won't take it back. You cannot do that, considering we took contributions from the public. In this case, close to 10,000 people with an average contribution of maybe $200 or something to that effect. We couldn't, in all honesty, make ourselves owners of the, the, the company. So we, for, for the right reasons, we had to make it a Swiss foundation which we have no control over. And the foundation then has to have board members who we ask people to join the board. And we, the people that work on the project, pretty much have to justify ourselves and uh, our spending. And on top of that, now we have set up the Pillar DAO as well. And the Pillar DAO has been given, say, 100 million, million Pillar tokens. So the pillar DAO would have a say in what should be developed, what uh, direction the project should take as well. And and this DAO itself would have a representation in the foundation. So we ultimately, the the project was started by a mass of people to make it a, a reality. And we're giving, we have sort of given it back to the community that created the project. So that th- that core decision making can be devolved, 
and it is still a work in progress. It's by no means a finished article. We're still learning as we go, and it is really hard to manage projects in a DAO in a community situation where you have a product strategy in terms of um, product specific things versus uh, company strategy directions. They can clash. So sometimes you you can have someone who's an expert, a product expert, with working together with a marketing expert saying, okay, we have such and such product and we can have such and such niche, let's go for it, versus a community of people saying, oh, we feel like it should go this way. So it is an opinion versus a qualified uh, bunch of people doing their due diligence and in business, even the decisions made by those qualified product owner, marketing people, don't always get it right. Because, and, and never mind deciding by a committee. But at the same time, we're trying to see which is the optimal way, which would be the the the, the decisions that would set the strategy, the trend, the direction versus product specific ones in terms of adoption, product market fit sort of thing. So these are challenges that we have experienced in the house, but um, ultimately our our idea is to make ourselves out of a job really so that the DAO takes this decision and and not a single person or a top-down hierarchy would not be the way we will be seeing it in, in the future, how this is run. And how many people are on the board now that controls the foundational capital? The, the, the foundation board at the moment, I think it's got four or five people. Just because in an SBS uh-huh. foundation, you have to be, it's, it's not like you have to be anonymous. You have to be identified and registered and you'd have responsibility for making decisions. And that's why we are adding the DAO's representative as a, 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 uh, giving them a seat in the foundation board so that the DAO's so there is basically the DAO's representative and would, so there's basically uh, mm-hmm. I think we're having a little bit of a lag there but basically it sounds like there's a Swiss bank account and there's some folks that have control over the account those are the people that are on the board of the nonprofit. Um when you say a DAO, how, what, is it, what does it mean? When you say DAO, how do you define it? Because I'm thinking literally there's a Swiss bank account that has four people that have access to that, where maybe the mechanics are all four have to agree. Um, like if you, yeah, how do you sort of boil it down to where, where things are today? You say in, in this situation, you would have a Swiss foundation which have four to five members these are individuals so when i talk about a dao this is a decentralized autonomous organization and how this is created is from active members of the project so active members of the project would mean we have a community channel in this case discord it's like discord is a something like telegram or whatsapp but more geared and structured towards organizations now within this you have members that come in and that are active out of those then you would have rooms that are controlled by however amount of pillar tokens you have 
So this is called gated rooms. In these rooms, you have members that have qualified that are active. So these people are eligible to be, based on the token criteria, eligible to be members of the DAO. Then of those, there are X amount that do participate. So what we've done is to make it um, acceptable in, in the Swiss structure, we created an association, a Swiss-based association, which almost links, which not almost, which is the legal representative of representation, representation of the DAO. The DAO in this case is gotcha. this decentralized autonomous organization, which is made up of community members that are active in the project and that uh, possibly funded the project from the get-go as well. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So there's uh, maybe a hundred people on this, or th- something to that effect. Would be, I mean, altogether, yeah. token holders would be upwards of twenty thousand. But you're not going to have twenty thousand people participating. So you would maybe have hundred people or something to that effect. But it is open to anyone mm-hmm. who qualifies with the token ownership. So, I mean, we, we are embracing the blockchain space ethos of new community run projects and that the future will be mm-hmm. instead of having customers you would have products which you'll make to your community imagine mm, the future facebook would have uh, all its users as community members and once the 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 the, the, the profit is made at the end of the year those community members would have a slice of the pie so to speak so the the ad mm-hmm. revenue that comes into this Facebook in a decentralized way, and if there are these community members in a DAO, they would have X amount distributed to them. So they're incentivized. They're ambassadors of that product. At the same time, they have a say in how the direction of that company goes. So the dynamics of what we have right now, I am a company, uh, I run a company, and my company has X amount of customers changed even different to the shareholding, it would be more, I'm, I'm catering to my community and this community double up as customers, but they have a say. They have a say and they're also incentivized in very many ways. If you own crypto and leave it on the exchange where you bought it, like Coinbase, that is a mistake. We've heard the news lately, exchanges closed, accounts frozen. We're learning the hard way that crypto on exchanges is not really in your control. So what can you do about it? Well, you can get a crypto wallet and control the crypto yourself. And that's why today's show is sponsored by ZenGo. These guys realize that storing Bitcoin and storing crypto yourself can be difficult. It's risky to keep private keys. They realized this and said there's got to be a better way. So they created a crypto wallet that is fully recoverable. So say goodbye to lost Bitcoins. And the security of this wallet is incredible. It's a hacker's worst nightmare. They use a three-factor authentication, including 3D biometrics, so no one can access your wallet except for you. And Zengo realizes that at different levels of the crypto journey, you have different needs. So they offer 27 support and have real people that are available to contact directly within the app. They have a bunch of different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and more, and they have all sorts of NFTs available as well. So now for the first time, you can keep your crypto safe with the same tools that the big guys have used for years. Download Zengo, that's Z-E-N-G-O, 
and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's $20 back for your first purchase of $200 or more. Use code ATC and check out Zengo. Yeah, gotcha. And so similar to Facebook, Facebook could have as a stock, they could have individual retail investors be owners in Facebook. They could have dividends to pay off of the revenue that Facebook would make. But they really don't have, they have voting privileges as a shareholder in a public company. But you don't have the um, the direct representation from owning a share of Facebook to choosing who's on the board of directors. And I imagine, like, tell me more. How do you? So there's four people that are uh, that are on the board of the foundation. Then there's the DAO that roughly a hundred people. Is there a vote every six months or so or a year where all the, they vote the DAO to say, hey, do we want to kick this person off or add a new person on? I mean, that's the thing. The DAO, they, they have the flexibility to decide as a community how they operate. So they have X, maybe um, seven, eight people that have uh, that are signatory so that they can spend um, payments and allow funds from a wallet, a, a digital wallet that they have. It is a multi-signature wallet. So you have maybe if you have seven members, you can get four out of seven. So then let's say someone proposes in the DAO, I think we should have a, a presence, say, let's say in Bogota, we should have a booth in Bogota representing our project. Then people in the DAO make a vote on that. And if that vote passes, then a decision is made just purely by the DAO to have to pay for a boot and to send X ABC from the community to represent that project. And maybe the next decision could be someone can propose, I think we should really engage a marketing firm XYZ to do this, this and this marketing activities. Then people discuss, debate about it. And the DAO votes, and the DAO votes, and this one doesn't pass, then you don't do that. Then maybe th this kind of decision. So the DAO as a group would have a fund, and uh, that, that fund is used to give a budget to a certain activity, and they vote. Now, this is independent as we have it from the foundation, but now we're trying to bring the two worlds together, the old world and the new world. The DAO We've give, we have given it access to the foundation as well, where the initial funds were collected. And now then there's this revenue stream we, we are trying to get into the DAO as well. Any revenue stream that we get through the wallet is going straight into the DAO. So the DAO can have funds to make these uh, uh, proposals and make a decision on. How, uh, if you were to give a letter grade, A, B, C, D, F, to the structure and effectiveness of DAOs, foundations, because the way you're describing it <clears throat> is the way that many other projects have it structured. And I'm curious if you feel that this has now unlocked some human cognitive organizational capacity to make better, faster decisions than it would be like in a centralized company where you have a board of directors hire the CEO. CEO is in charge of making all the decisions. They're generally like great decision makers, visionaries, company leaders. If you push that decision making power down to a more uh, flat organizational structure through a DAO, is that, do you feel better for? 
productivity? Is it, does it, uh, certainly there's pros and cons. It doesn't seem like an obvious uh, better solution in every application. Yeah, th- th- there are pros and cons, and we're still learning as we speak because when, as I kind of touched up on it earlier on, when you make decisions, technical decisions, uh, let's develop such and such because it would help us in this way. Members of the DAO may not necessarily be knowledgeable to make that call. And even product-specific calls or specific marketing calls, n- not necessarily it could be. How- however, at the same time, there could be someone in the community with such an insight. It, they, they could be a marketing expert somewhere else or so it is just getting the balance right. Is it product level decisions versus company direction versus decisions? And you do see it in other projects as well, where the DAO has a say in certain areas and the DAO, then the operational team ha- has a say in certain areas. But ultimately, what you would want to do is the DAO to have the ability to say, no, we're not happy with this development team that is uh, taking the project in such and such direction. Okay, from the DAO's perspective, we will hire uh, uh, Team X from outside to do this, this, and this, and considering this is all open source. Do you see, it is, uh, not necessarily in your project, but uh, are there, is conflict of interest a major problem in the industry when you set it up this way? Because I would imagine that people are proposing a particular marketing agency or a particular development agency. Maybe this person owns the development agency or the marketing agency, or maybe they work there. Uh, does that sort of thing plague the industry in, in some way that is either not talked about or, or talked about? I mean, I have always thought about, we've discussed about these sorts of scenarios. However, look at it this other way. If this person has an agency in a DAO that has, say, 1,000 people who can make a vote on, this person must be either really good at convincing people Mm. or or maybe worth their while to have, say, 501 people to vote for them for that proposal because yeah. proposals when they're made they're, they're made in the public they're scrutinized in the public you're hoping that with the if you say if, if a certain DAO has 1000 members and uh, to make uh, such and such decision you need a quorum of say maybe 500 so 50% of those then out of those 50% if you get 251 you get through so it depends on how the DAO decides to award these things but obviously you would always try to game it and and yeah yeah (laughs) human nature yeah what are the tools that you're using uh is there any infrastructural tools that you're using to manage the DAO to manage the voting you mentioned discord are there any other like industry common or critical infrastructure you're using to manage the development and voting and tokenizations yeah i mean voting is generally there's this tool called snapshot that allows you to do the voting and there's this tool called collabland that allows you to get rooms on discord and there are quite a lot of DAO. if you google DAO tooling it is an emerging space where quite a lot of tooling is coming 
and there are tools called coordinate where you can coordinate your work and where individual DAO members say um, should they nominate who how they nominate whichever person from their in their opinion should get x amount and you can see those kind of dynamics based on the people that they have collaborated with say maybe in the last week and there are even we have created a tooling called airdrop me which allows you to uh, uh, to distribute payments which is crypto payments to DAO members where the sender doesn't pay it's just the receiver pays when they withdraw their payments there are quite a lot of tooling toolings out there mm. interesting uh and you mentioned this uh ether spot this was kind of a, a, a direction now where the this is this is not a f- tell me if this is incorrect but it's not a focus of the dow's foundational resources but more a focus of the development company of pillar project uh like who maybe help help me understand what is ether spot and who is driving it okay ether spot was born out of the very many experiments we've done within pillar and around 2019 we early 2019 we took the pillar wallet in the direction of making it a smart wallet instead of a key wallet a smart wallet is a smart contract based wallet now with this experimentation no not experimentation with this reality we also took it further and created what we called at the time pillar payment network basically any pillar token or pillar wallet holders could send tokens any tokens to each other evm ethereum based tokens to each other without paying gas they would only pay the gas at the end when they withdraw these things so with this setup we we learned quite a lot and around early 2020 we created ethersport ethersport is a the way we've packaged the infrastructure that made um pillar wallet operational we separated the app which is the wallet app from the infrastructure which is the smart contract framework infrastructure then we packaged it as uh, as as an sdk which is software development kit so for other projects to be able to integrate it and integrating it say for instance sorry i'm just trying to make sure my battery doesn't die on me yeah so yeah. W- with this uh, sdk integration it any dapps any other wallets pretty much can use this infrastructure to first of all have access to a smart wallet but more importantly to have an easier way to go across chain and in, in the blockchain space you do have quite a lot of chains and even in the ethereum space which is evm school ethereum virtual machine evm compatible space you have 10 11 12 13 different chains with their specific communities and now these are all little islands the cosmos the polygon the phantom the binance smart chain the arbitrum the optimism these are all islands but it just so happens you may want to do something you have some funds on one chain and you want to do something because you've seen 
a yield farming on the other chain and you want to transfer your assets to that and, and invest it in there. Now, in these situations, it is support, we've been utilizing that to make that a whole lot smoother. So instead of you as a user having to click 9, 10, 11, 12 times to go from this chain to the other chain and then stake, which is um, invest in this specific product, which in theory you can put it, stake it in this one product and take it out and put that into another one. So it's daisy chaining it, which would give you, say, maybe 100% interest or 150% APY. So to be able to achieve this, this involves a lot of space, a lot of steps. So what Ethersport does for you is it abstracts all these steps away and automates it and it turns it into one. And even to the point of when you go from, say, you had your funds on Avalanche and you are investing into a yield farming on Binance Smart Chain, but what happens in general is when you go through this new chain, you do not have the native token to pay for the gas in this new chain. So it means you have to go and find the gas token. So all that is even abstracted away using Ethersport. So effectively, we're trying to give mm. Web3 um, non-custodial decentralized infrastructure a Web2 like UX so that just like when I go and set up my shopping cart in an e-commerce website, I just click and it goes there. I don't really need to know the implementation details because for all I know, when I go to Amazon, they can be using five, six, seven, eight databases, but I don't know and I don't care. In the Web3 mm, space, yeah. in the blockchain space, I'm asked to know these things. Oh, I'm going to Polygon. Oh, the gas is this. Why should I know about that? How competitive is the space? So you're building in the space. It certainly seems like a major problem. I would imagine there's some other companies, projects building this, what, what is the, what is the market competitive landscape look like for this, uh, app, for the application of Etherspot, which seems like it's solving primarily the, the, uh, encompassing the gas, the gas fees into the payments themselves. Yeah, uh, it does have many facets. Uh, another thing it does as well is imagine you are, not really familiar with the ins and outs of the blockchain space or Web3 space, but you know enough that there are opportunities where you can put in $200 and you might earn interest something like 40, 50, 60%. But you don't really want to get bogged down with the ins and outs of which crypto, what blockchain. Imagine then if you had this dashboard where you can put in $200 from your card, it goes through the fiat on ramps, which are, these are regulated companies which allow you to exchange your fiat to crypto. And through that, in an automated way, you can directly stake it into this uh, yield farming where you can earn your 40, 50% and you can see it in your display, then when you decide to withdraw it, you can just click on it and it comes back as fiat for you, which is in dollars. These are the sort of mm. things that we're looking at. And yes, the space is uh, competitive. At the same time, we did, because one of the advantages of us being one of the earlier projects uh, from the 2017 is we have been through a few cycles and we have experimented with a few sorts of technologies 
And now we can see more partnerships and collaborations springing up in pretty much every other day. Yes, that brings competition as well. At the moment, we seem to have a unique proposition, but we have to keep on developing that and and expanding what we offer because no one is going to stay for there for us waiting. Oh, they've got a competitive advantage. Maybe yeah, next yeah, yeah. week it would be gone. How do you see the the landscape today? So 2017, uh, I, my first crypto company, Redeem, we started in 2017, sold it in 2021. Uh, and I have, I remember, I remember being pretty active in, in 2017, 18 with ICOs. And that was like, like peak, uh, you know, one, one local peak for crypto and then, you know, it went down and ended up back then. Where do you have a do you pay attention to the high level like macro trajectory of the general crypto industry? Uh, I'm sure you do to some extent. Is it encompassing 50% of your time, 20% of your time? I'd love to hear it's kind of how you budget, like tri- being on crypto Twitter, etc., learning about the space versus heads down. And then where, where do you think we're sort of trajectorying, like or not trajectorying, headed? Yeah. I mean, listening to news around you is important because in the crypto space, we've seen it in 2019, 2020, a certain company can be set up in an automated way over Twitter. And in, before even Google has a chance to index it, a week, or, a week and a half or two weeks later, that company had gone to a billion-dollar company and gone down and gone bankrupt. So it is such a very fast space. Yes, you kind of, it becomes inbuilt into you to listen, at least to have certain newsletters you just quickly glance at and certain Twitter pop-ups, you follow quite a lot of um, um, Twitter channels or personalities that have interesting news. You just glance at these things and you belong in quite a lot of telegram groups and whatsapp groups where you quickly scan and see for the news as well yeah otherwise you cannot afford not to know what is going on especially you've seen it in the last month or so amount of companies come up and go down imagine you had put in the company's treasury in usdt in in the luna one and where it collapsed over a weekend you had gone traveling that weekend and you said oh i'm not going to be reachable this weekend by the time you come back your company would have been sitting on zero so yeah you have to you know for people who are in that situation no i personally i don't but it terrified me thinking what if we had gambled no 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 this is the best stable going to be on and we'd put in all the company's money on that and as i said to you oh yeah let's go somewhere and you've gone and come back that's it. That, that I thought yeah. was terrifying. Yeah. Do you feel like the ripple effect or the backlash of that has subsided? You know, are people that are invested into these projects, whether it's Celsius or uh, the Terra Luna, which have effectively gone to zero overnight, is that uh, people have to be destroyed by that? I mean, if someone put in even you know, a substantial part of their life savings, if, if not all of it, into these fairly stable advertised projects, you know, they weren't advertised as being high risk. Like that was core to their DNA 
that it was a stable coin. And then in Celsius's case, it was advertised as being like a crypto bank and security was, you know, a huge part of it. The user experience, just the, the, the graphical experience would appear to people who are not very technical. It's not like you need a text editor and, you know, deep crypto knowledge to get into this. So they're attracting people who are like, okay, this is a safe, familiar place for me in the crypto land. And then that goes to zero overnight. What are people doing? Is it, is that backlash uh, subsided today? Do you anticipate more in the future, either more backlash from the existing projects failing or something else? I mean, th- this has highlighted the presence of centralized entities and non-custodial decentralized entities. At the same time as the, um, I think, 3AC and the Celsius were in trouble, um, a, a couple of um, decentralized investment situations had the same issue where the community had to vote uh, on one of them to actually make a controversial decision where they were to amend their smart contract, which is not meant to be modifiable, and take ownership of a certain position, which ultimately the position holder was alerted and they did something about it themselves. On the other side, the central entities where they have their accounting books and uh, the processes that they have to go through, but they expose themselves by borrowing money from the automated market makers where you have to you have to over collateralize in these cases and if you don't pay the loan, the smart contract, which is the computer program, would automatically dissolve your position. Mm. And as and interestingly enough, if you look at the Celsius, they pretty much paid all the loans that they had exposure to to this automated market is close to a billion, I think. Because if they don't pay, when the the algorithm would say, okay, I'm going to take to auction this and you lose your position. What they didn't pay mm-hmm. is the individuals who were not allowed to withdraw. So it has shown the cracks between centralized entities playing in the decentralized space and and they're the ones that went down in this case but nonetheless people have lost money at least uh, quite a lot of them have not been paid with all the other companies that paid and it's the retail people and people that follow the hype and oh crypto you will make x amount and these things go in a cycle um, it's not just in the crypto space as well, though. If you remember the GameStop situation where people piled in, hold, 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 and piled in a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So this kind of sentiment happens. So yeah, I think the old adage for me is don't put in more than you can afford to lose in these situations. If you borrowed money to gamble it and say, okay, I'm going to gamble because whatever crypto is going to go because we've seen in the past it go to 100 times i'm going to gamble and borrow and put in x amounts of money for it to go 100 times what if it doesn't and it goes the other direction so 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. How do you split that between different projects? I mean, if you said, okay, I want to put my dollars in, I put my savings in U.S. dollar, either in a traditional bank account or you put it into a USDT or uh, USDC stablecoin, you're effectively banking on inflation not crushing your your store of value right with the us dollar then if you put it into bitcoin like that can go up and down and then if you put it into you know further and further out projects there's kind of this implicit understanding that those are more risky but do you look at like you know if you if you if you've accumulated a million dollars today where do you think the if you have a long-term vision like 10 20 years do you put it are you in the camp of like throw it all in Bitcoin? Are you in the camp of split it between Ether and Bitcoin? Are you in the camp of like, hey, invest a bunch of it into smaller projects, test it out? How do you sort of think the, the uh, you know, who knows? Again, not investment advice, but where do you mm-hmm. think like, what? how do you sort of make sense of the investment um, philosophy and how you distribute it? So uh, the, the main factor here is risk appetite. If you were to give me $1 million right now, I might say, oh, well, that makes me a millionaire, so I'm not spending it. I'm just going to retire on that and just go to some little village and leave. Or I might be more ambitious and say, if you give me a million dollars now, oh, well, maybe I will invest 500K of it and keep the 500K. Or I might say, maybe I will spend 400K on property. Then it will give me 600K. Now the 600K, which one gives me more return? It is an inflationary time. When there is inflation, should I put it on bonds or should I put it on equity? Or if I go crypto, which crypto should I do? Which one is more risky? Which one befits my appetite? Because when there is risk, there is a, a potential for high rewards as well. Then I look at the history, just even recent history. When crypto winter came in, it finished around early 2020. How much did Bitcoin go up by? How much did Ethereum go up by? How about the other ones? Then what other aspects are there? Oh, the proof of work being replaced by proof of stake in some burning of uh, of Ethereum. So would that create a shortage? If it does, what would the, 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 that be on the, on the price of Ethereum? How about the comparison in the ecosystem between 2018 and 2022? Well, there are X amount of more projects now I see. Then does it mean then the, this leads to more creativity in the next year or two for, for it to be a, an even more vibrant ecosystem? So I, I would try and look at all these triangulations before I make my call on the 1 million you've just given me. But it entirely depends on individual's risk appetite. Yeah. The hard part is to know, say you're medium risk, you know, you're like, well, I like this cash. I don't want to lose it. Some portion of it I want to put into high risk, but you know, I want to save a large portion into lower risk. Do you, I mean, 
hard to know, but I, I, to me, it feels like Bitcoin seems to be the consensus for long-term store of value digitally. The threat to Bitcoin would be the government's. You know, I, I see that maybe there's some technical risk with quantum computers coming down the pipeline, like China's investing a lot into that potential. Who knows if like decryption accelerates faster in technological development than encryption accelerates possible, mm-hmm. hard to speculate. Then there's the clear and obvious case of government crackdown. If governments were to view Bitcoin as an existential risk, particularly in the United States, the US dollar to the strength of the economy, the U.S. could shut down the exchanges. Without access to the exchanges, there's really no effective and simple, fast way to move between your bank account and your crypto wallet, which I think undercuts, you know, a huge, like the whole industry. Uh, that's kind of how I make sense of the landscape and the risk tolerance is like, if that were to happen, my guess is that Bitcoin would drop significantly in the short term and probably rise in the long term. But even then, you know, maybe the U.S. announces tomorrow they cut all access to crypto exchanges. You know, there's some story behind it. And then maybe Bitcoin skyrockets because of it. I don't, I don't know. But I, those seem to be... Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, that is a possibility. When you drive it underground, it becomes like an illicit drug where <laughs> it increases in value. But we've seen it in some jurisdictions where they do not have active crypto exchange. I have heard people where they have a manufacturing plant in a certain country and they couldn't get foreign exchange without bribing someone because that nation has a shortage of foreign exchange and i've heard people going on local cryptos and uh, arranging a meetup with the local person you come in with your wallet they come in with a word of cash in a bag you pretty much have that swap in that industrialist now has a foreign exchange, even though it's in crypto, that they can use to buy their raw material for their company or something to that effect. So the, the, the ease of being able to cross international borders in crypto is uh, far easier. In fact, when, when you see central banks talking about central bank issued cryptocurrency, CBDC, that is another tacit approval of where crypto is and, in fact, where stable coins are. And yes, CBDC may have its own drawbacks where because it's a, it's a contract, a smart contract, it's programmable money. So they can program all sorts of things into it. But at the same time, it opens the cross-border uh, bordering. Someone can work for, uh, you can give someone from uh, on a contract, you can fi- find them on a job board to give you a specific work. And paying them would be a lot easier because you can just transfer the stable coin or, or the central bank issued one. So, yes, Bitcoin seems to be the, the grandfather of the, the, the crypto space as we see it. And Ethereum seems to be the one, the vibrant one. So, I suppose it depends on how you you want to engage with with the ecosystems. Yeah, interesting. And do you have any, so we've talked about uh, the Pillar Project, we've talked about, just to recap, uh, uh, Etherspot, we talked about the structure of the DAO and the voting and the company registered, the the foundation registry in in Switzerland. Uh, And then we've kind of moved on to looking at different 
protocols that are out there, risk balancing for portfolio management. Are there other things, topics, either in crypto or outside that you feel like you've learned a lot about uh, or are very passionate about that you wanted to chat about for a few minutes? Um, I don't know passionate about things I've learned. Two things, different things. One of them is NFT side. I'll come back to that. And the other one is even in 2017, there were a lot of projects talking about banking the unbanked because in, in this world, not everyone has banking bank accounts and developing nations. People do not have access to it. And even as far down as 2017, 2016, that was a big talk. Crypto will make them, them bring them th- these people to, to the fore. But what happened was crypto became expensive to for the gas price. And the gas price alone is probably a monthly salary's worth for someone in, the, in a developing nation. Mm. And that didn't quite work out, but I can still see the potential where we can, with all the side chains and the, 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 the layer two, basically these are uh, mechanisms to make crypto cheaper and faster, tr- uh, payments in crypto cheaper and faster. They can have an effect as I've kind of touched. Someone can work on a specific project for you, say they could be an artist and you want some illustration done, you can get it cheaper, say maybe in Namibia. And But mm. think of how you can pay someone in Namibia right now. Do you have a bank account? Which bank account? Oh, I tried to send it for my bank account, but it was rejected. Think of the what you have to go through. Oh, I will send it through Western Union for you and they will charge you X amount of percent where you can easily pay that in crypto and they can use that crypto in whatever denomination they want in their local um, ecosystem. Have you, have you seen Africa specifically uh, from a personal perspective growing on crypto? Uh, well, I have. I know it is, but. I have seen it growing. Certain nations go out and say, we do not accept crypto. Crypto is illegal. Say, for instance, recently I've seen, I think in Ethiopia saying that, which I thought it was a bit retarded from my perspective, yeah. but at the same time, you can see vibrant ecosystems in Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda. And however, even recently we had, uh, we were looking for uh, to fill a position in our marketing department and we, we received CVs from everywhere, pretty much in the world. And we did get quite a lot of from um, those specific countries as well. So that showed me that people are watching but whether people are excluded because when you have to pay a transaction fee on mainnet of $200 right there, it excludes vast majority of the people. Yeah, that's Earth, crazy. Never mind developing nations. Yeah. I mean, it certainly excludes Ethereum uh, for, as an option. That's for sure. Yeah. And uh, you see those type of uh, price exclusions. And uh, at the same time, when I went to, uh, I was in New York recently for NFT NYC and a New York NFT week. And it, it was interesting, I thought, because I, I, as part of my role, I go to a lot of events, uh, Ethereum events and crypto events. And this one was different in that it was a lot more diverse um, from the, the male to female versus socioeconomic background. And it was a lot more representative at the same time Mm-hmm. I saw quite a lot of young people, not necessarily people with technical background, 
they seem to be people from artistic and creative age because with these events when you go to you go to side events and you're queuing up outside and you're talking to people and i, I was struck how non-technical they were but it reminded me the early internet sp uh, space imagine when after the internet the first possibly battle was which web server to use then which browser to use once the battles were settled then you had the e-commerce sites everyone had an e-commerce site yeah. building website monetizing it in the nft space it seems that kind of energy you can see in the creativity you can see pretty much when you speak to everyone they have an nft they're building to a community and that community they give them tokens those tokens give them access to uh, royalties they give them access to even say an artist i've heard him on stage say the, the NFT gives him the IP right, so any NFT holder can take his music and mix it with another music and put it in the charts themselves as their own because that NFT gives them the license, the IP rights, which the artist does not have in general at the moment. The record companies own these things. So those sorts of creativities, and I've seen a big company where they use NFTs for engagement engagement in that when you buy a certain ticket right. you get an nft which could give you backdoor access further the engagement in, in right. terms of discounts promotional uh, ties to them so that i thought was fascinating and mm. another thing that i recently came up uh, came across is again regenerative finance refi um th there is this company we've we collaborate with called klimadao what they do is yeah, you can do your carbon offset uh, on the blockchain using them. So by, by getting buying their the token and staking it, one token of theirs nominally represents one ton of carbon. So you can offset your carbon, and they get this. Um, they, they get carbon certificates and pour them, bridge them into the into the Polygon ecosystem. So this was built on the constructs of the DeFi. The DeFi where you stake and get rewards and yield farm. So mm -hmm. I thought that was fascinating because the DeFi construct is an extreme capitalism case. When you see the smart contracts, automated market making, as we've kind of touched upon the Celsius case, you borrow money, you collateralize it, you miss your payment, it gets liquidated. No one is talking to you. No one is asking you. It's automated. So this is zero-sum game in terms of the DeFi world. I win, you lose. And these people took that and built a regenerative finance and environmental aspect to it. I thought that was uh, an ingenious way of using the infrastructure that we have in. So w when I see those type of reusage, reapplication, that's what excites me with the NFT space, with the creatives and the artists on that side, creative, some, creating something really useful, tangible, I can see in the coming few years. Mm. It's awesome. Yeah, I agree. I love each of those different corners of the crypto world have such huge potential and are already growing so quickly. Um, Michael, I love what you're working on. Do you want to throw out any personal links or places that you tweet or write online personally? We'll have links to all the Pillar Project stuff in the show notes. 
Yep, uh, I you can reach out to me at mm mmm319 on Twitter. Uh, every now and then I tweet. I'm not a prolific Twitter, but every now and then I express my ideas. And you can catch us at at Pillar Wallet or at Ethersport. We do tweets regularly in that and fascinating insights that we provide into the space as well from our tweets on at Ethersport. We'll be happy to engage with you guys as well. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michael. This has been a lot of fun. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you.